You're listening to the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast, your new home for inspiration, family, sports conversations, and a lot of other stuff. We're your all-purpose pod for an all-purpose life and your weekly mirror check before you go change the world, baby. Enjoy the show. On the next episode of They Call Me Mr. You, it may not ever become a national holiday or day you even mark off on your calendars. This may just be another episode to some of you, but to a few, this might serve as your graduation day. You've been through the fire. You've been through adversity. You've been through the floods. Giving up was always a plan B, but today I'm giving a gift to a gift. You got greatness inside of you and it may have been buried, but today I got a shovel. On this episode of They Call Me Mr. You, which starts in five, four, three, two, one. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the All Purpose Pod for an All Purpose Life. We're your weekly mirror check before you go change the world, wherever you are today. Have you listened to the People's Podcasts? Thank you again for making a call me Mr. You. Just a small part of your morning, your day, and your week. Come on! Oh yeah, oh yeah! Welcome back to the All Purpose Pod for an All Purpose Life. Wherever you are today, have you hearing the People's Podcast? Thank God you're the people. Thank you again for making a call me Mr. You, just a small part of your morning, your day, and your week. We want to be your weekly mirror check before you go change that world. Let's jump into our episode. Thank you again, first off, for everybody who's been reaching out to us, sharing testimonials about how the episodes have been impacting you. I'm loving it. You guys have been inspiring. You guys are so encouraging. So I thank you for all the messages, the comments, quotes, and all the ways you guys have been uh, supporting our podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you very much. We really do appreciate it. Now, pondering this particular episode was a little bit difficult for a few different reasons. Dealing with a subject of this kind is the equivalent to facing off against a battalion with cannons, guns, and all you have is a sword. It may seem like the wrong weapon for the wrong moment, but perhaps it's not. What makes a man valuable? Some may say his ability to provide financial support or having a stable job. Others may say it's his compassion or his ability to listen. There's always those that may point to his virility, his ability to produce offspring. What makes a woman valuable? Some may say it's her physical appearance. Others may say it's her ability to bear children. There's almost always those that view her nurturing qualities to be of the utmost importance. Now, I'm not supporting or disputing any of those assertions in this episode. That's not what this is about for today. But what I do care to talk to you about is value. A five-letter word that has become lost on many of us. Value. If you have a cookie jar in your kitchen and you haven't bought any cookies in six months, would you remove your lid and reach inside of it looking for a sweet treat? Of course not. The world around us offers us empty cookie jars. 
the lure of a nice macadamia nut or chocolate chip cookie is offered, but at the end of the day, the jar is empty. There's no fulfillment. Anything you do find that's food, quote unquote, will melt in your mouth or be gone so fast, it leaves you with no substance or satisfaction. So the natural inclination is to go back for some more and more and more. The physical self doesn't stop eating until they're feeling full. Yes, full is actually a feeling, not a state of mind or state of being. It's actually a feeling. How frustrating would it be to eat and eat but never get full? Being full is the entire satisfying point, right? It's actually a disorder out there, a syndrome that acts in the same way. It results in the underdevelopment of organs, loss of cognitive ability, speech problems, sleep disorder, and even an obsessive compulsive disorder. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? It's actually a real thing for a lot of people. It's kind of like the Chinese food from the old neighborhood. You can order $30 worth of it and you'll be hungry in a couple of hours again. Quite an endless cycle. But there are specific reasons why this food has that kind of effects on us. Research that on your own time if you care to. But what if you believed all you deserved in life was just Chinese food? I mean, no matter what cuisine you're offered, who's paying and how elegant or extravagant it may be, you're going to reject it. Simply because you don't feel worthy to have something so rich, so fancy, so upscale. So you revert back to what you think you're worth, what you think your value is, which is the Chinese food that doesn't fulfill you. Feel free to replace the Chinese food analogy with whatever you choose. The clear point is that you, me, we will accept or reject based on how we feel about ourselves. Can you agree with that today? It may not be exactly equitable to the specific situation, or it may be a bit unrealistic. But how we view ourselves is how we see everything else. I'll say that again for those in the back. How we view ourselves is how we see everything else. To be clear, and so there's no confusion through the course of this journey we're on today, I'll repeat it, that it affects everything else. Home, work, play, everything. There's a lie that people have bought literally for generations for pennies on the dollar that we can separate how we live from who we are. What we do at home shouldn't or doesn't impact what we do at work or at church or in our community. We can split ourselves like some twisted hybrid and be this for these and that for those. This falsehood has gone even deeper to where now we've been led to believe that the physical can be totally disconnected from the emotional and the spiritual. Nope. The world that we live in has nothing authentic to give us. Now that flies in the face of everything we've ever learned in school, what ideas many of our parents and grandparents have taught us, or what information we can gather through external sources. It sounds like a blanket statement, but I'm standing behind this. Nothing this world offers us is authentic. Nothing this world offers us holds value outside of this life. Now, what does that mean? Do you even care about anything beyond the right now? Questions you need to ask yourself, I'd say. But it's a known fact that we all assess value differently. Some might not want to wear a gold-plated necklace. So it may. It makes them look important. A sports car is great to get people's attention and present the idea that we hold significance. 
Some will even use a flip phone to avoid wasting money on a newer model. The world's idea of value is what's offered to us publicly after Thanksgiving. If you buy this depreciating item, you can save 10%. Now, to many, that's enough value to spear someone in the center aisle for the last microwave in the store. Dropkick a dude for a 60-inch flat screen is acceptable behavior because it represents value to you. I used to view value in similar ways. Now, if a girl smiled and dressed nice, we can assume she's classy and came from a good family, right? If a guy wore a three-piece suit and carried a briefcase, it must mean he's a professional and he can be trusted, right? Looks can be deceiving and so can the world's view of value. Billboards, TV commercials, images in shopping malls, a multitude of voices telling us or forcing a repetitive idea on us that this is beauty, this is desirable, this is valuable to obtain and maintain and want after. One of the most subtle lies available is the idea that the external stuff can affect the internal part of you. In other words, what's out there can affect what's in here. That's them and not me, not us. I shared on an earlier episode this season about the power of the brain. I think it's worthwhile to revisit this. The book you're reading, the show or program you're watching, the person you're gathering information from, the words you routinely speak from your lips all have an impact on how you think and how you respond eternally. The book you're reading, the show or the program you're watching or you're binging, the person you're gathering information from, no limits, whoever that may be, the words you routinely speak from your lips all have an impact on how you think, also on how you respond. Think of it like a revolving door of sorts. The problems or events recur in a continuous cycle. Whatever comes in the door can go out of the same door or it can remain wherever it enters, right? Ever been stuck in a revolving door before that no longer revolves? Well, I have. It happened to me when I was a little kid. It's actually pretty frightening. If the door doesn't revolve, you can find yourself trapped between two entryways. You can go in and you can't get out. You can see the way out, but you can't capitalize on it. If you're trapped in there with a wasp, things can be even worse. Much of the stuff, the voices, the ideas, the suggestions are stuck in what is a revolving door, what should be a revolving door, but often it's not. The door doesn't revolve. Those ideas, those thoughts, those voices, that stuff, the suggestion, they get stuck when it should be revolved out. No matter how hard you try, it's nearly impossible to not be introduced to a negative thought or less than pleasing image or suggestion. The temptation is strong and the struggle is real. The issue is that those less than helpful things remain in places they should only be passing through. Not only that, we give them free room and board and cook them three square meals. And we allow them to make themselves at home, put their feet up. I believe it's because of how we view ourselves through the lens of value that these things take place. We never imagined we'd be able to do what we're doing. But it's not a big leap of faith right now to, for somebody else in the same mind waiting and hoping and looking. Believing in the, believing in the possible. There's an idea, and the children of Israel were a great example of this, that they chose captivity 
Not because it was better for their families, but because it was predictable. They chose to, rather than choose the greater unknown, they opted for the lesser known. They they knew what kind of food they would be fed in captivity. They knew how they'd be treated. They knew how much work they'd have to do. How much labor would be placed on top of them. They knew what would be expected of them. They knew what every day would be like from start to finish. It was predictable. It was manageable. It was the known, a lesser version of what God wanted for their life, but they knew what it was. The greater unknown scares people. Could you agree? We generally don't want to grow up. So we fall into a worship of sorts. We worship the younger years, our adolescence, the new and shinier models rather than the less worn ones. If it's new and innovative, great. If it's outdated or ancient, get rid of it. The truth is that we don't want to pay the price for maturity. Now, that's something that hopefully lands with 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50, 60, and 70-year-olds as well. Because it applies. The truth is that we don't want to pay for the price of maturity. It's why we have a world full of those that have been uninitiated and uninspired. But the uncomfortable truth in this is found in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. It's a reminder of something that we either forget or perhaps we never knew at all. We hold an indescribable treasure in these fragile earthen vessels that we call bodies. This is evidence that this power is not from us, but from the Lord. How do you know that's true? Use your own human nature as a barometer. If you had a treasure suddenly appear in your hands, you wouldn't put it in your purse where your kids routinely go to get their phone, get your phone so they can play games on it. You wouldn't put it under the bed or in a random closet. You would protect it, wouldn't you? You put it in a safe or somewhere behind lock and key. That's just the human nature. If you have something valuable, I don't care if it's a valuable ring or some kind of trinket or something else of great value, you will protect it. That's the way we would think about something like that. It's totally human, totally understandable when it comes to the human experience. So you know we would never entrust such a great treasure to someone like us, right? We don't even trust family members with little things. So we certainly wouldn't do that with something of immeasurable value, but God did that. He put something immeasurable inside of you and inside of me, inside of us, and plopped you down in the unlikeliest of places. You might have been born and reared in a rough part of town. You might have been in a single parent household. You might have had no viable parentage at all. Doesn't mean you were not the carrier of a great treasure. You still were. It really didn't matter how well you could read or write. It didn't matter if you were the first in your family to finish high school. It wasn't relevant if you had kids or you couldn't hold down a steady job. It doesn't mean you're not the conduit for something greater than yourself. The key to unlocking this treasure in you is understanding where it came from and why it's in the hands of someone like you, someone like us. That that answer is found within the confines of the journey, a journey of exploration. Exploring you and encountering your source. For those in the back, I don't mean your job. 
that's not your source. But some refuse to do that, and you cast a disparaging light on the treasure. They'd rather have a God in a box. Yeah, like a Jack in the box. Turn the knob and God pops right out, right? Well, he's not in your church waiting for you to show up. He's on the shores of the beach. He's in the shopping malls. He's in the checkout lines. He's on the highway. He's in your man cave or your she shed. He's everywhere. And still, he must be encountered. Think about that. I know that might have went over some some folks' head, but just understand. He's everywhere, but he still needs to be encountered. He still needs to be engaged. He's not a genie, and he's not a god in a box. I don't think this is purely a man thing, but movies about a hunt for lost treasure captivate me. I didn't realize why after all these years until now. Movies like the Indiana Jones, the Pirates of the Caribbean, and National Treasure are movie series I can watch over and over again, and usually I do when they come on. There's something exhilarating about discovering something that's so so valuable, but it's been hidden, and no one's been able to find it for years and years and centuries and centuries. I find that to be fascinating. Now, I don't know a time where I didn't play Treasure Hunt with my grandkids where, where it wasn't a super fun adventure, trying to find random hidden items in the house. It does something to a child and to the adult. It wakes something up. That exploration, that sense of discovery, that sense of adventure. Now, I hope my wife doesn't mind me telling this story, but for a special anniversary gift, I believe it was our 10th anniversary, a friend of mine's helped me plan a little anniversary scavenger hunt, so to speak. Now, this idea is not copyrighted. You can use it. But I recorded instructions on a CD, complete with all the clues that were hidden in our home. My wife had to first listen to the CD. I was purposely not home to help with that on purpose. Then she had to follow the very specific instructions and figure out the clues in order to find out where her anniversary gift was hidden in the house. I've never seen my wife so excited in her life. Her eyes were so wide with anticipation as she searched the house, following the clues to find the secret hidden treasures. I was more excited than she was, maybe. There's a treasure hidden inside of you. Have you located it yet? I see why kids get amped about Easter egg hunts. It was never really my thing, but I I see why kids love it and why they get excited. It's that sense of adventure, that sense of discovery, that sense of exploration, like my wife experienced on our anniversary. I know you're probably thinking about your being an author or a public speaker or being the best mother in the world, or maybe you're really good at creative arts, or maybe you have a sharp business mind. That's still not the treasure. I know there's a treasure hidden inside of you, but have you located it yet? That's not it. You may have an outstanding singing voice. Everybody told you at the family reunion that you, you sound good. They say you should be on American Idol. That's still not the treasure. Now, in these movies, the hidden ancient treasure is usually located either in a place the rest of the world have abandoned or a place no one is brave enough to visit. I'm going to say that again for those in the back. I think that's really important for some reason. In these movies, the hidden ancient treasure is usually located either in a place the rest of the world has already abandoned or a place no one is brave enough to visit. Let that sink in. 
An unlikely place is where most jewels come from, where most treasures can be found. Jewels just like you. Jesus was from a city called Nazareth, a place that was difficult to access, difficult to get to, traveling wise, had limited means of agriculture and very few residents in it. I think about 1500. That was definitely considered an unlikely place for a savior. Some of the greatest treasures this world has ever seen will come from unlikely places like Nazareth. They won't look like much. They'll seem humble and meager in comparison to other places. Generationally, they'll look weaker than most, full of struggle and poverty. But out of the mist of the places that man have forgotten lies a treasure. Perhaps somebody forgot about you. Perhaps somebody has judged you because of where you come from. The circumstances you've been in. The dirt you had to wallow in. Just to make it through. And this pattern is fairly common to God. Check out the lives of men like Moses and Jacob and David and Paul and even Jesus Christ. The treasure was practically never found in the confines of the temple, a.k.a. the place you expect him to be. How many movies have we seen where the mobster or the assassin in search of redemption goes to the church and sits in the back row hoping to feel better about what they've done? hoping to make penance for what they've done. Is that the place he rests and waits? Or did we pass him in a less obvious location? To find the treasure, 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 is talking about, you have to find who left the treasure there in the first place. The key to the treasure is whose treasure belongs to. Who left it there and why? Human intellect would dictate Just like in the movies we discussed, that when we find a treasure, we decide what gets donated where, what museum gets it, how much they get, how much of the wealth we keep. And it's all dependent on our own desires and our own wants. In the movies, even the government usually swoops in and takes control of the treasure, while the heroes retain small pieces of it as profit for themselves, as a reward, so to speak. I need you to listen to me when I say this part might be the most important thing I say in this episode today. This is most definitely news you can use. You are not capable of handling the treasure. I know that we're talking about having a sense of adventure and discovery and being bold and courageous. You are not capable of handling this treasure. I know the movies paint a picture that, you know, maybe anybody who has that kind of drive and goal and determination can do what those treasure hunters did. I say again to you, you are not capable of handling this treasure. Maybe you're an adventurous type, the explorer. You think you can tough your way through anything. You can climb any mountains without expertise on guts alone. You can conquer any wilderness and come out the other side screaming victory. You're probably bold and fearless. You are not capable of handling a treasure of this sort. I'm telling you this not because you're not smart or intelligent or brave or bold. Is that you don't have solid wisdom or counsel in your life. It's not any of those reasons. The government can swoop in and take this treasure away in the dark of night. It's not theirs to take. It's in you, but 
truth be told, it's not yours either. And that's the only point that really matters in all of this. What special treasure in you is not for you to use and disseminate. It's not yours. It's not your gift. It's a gift that you've been given it in the first place, but it's not your gift. It's got a glory and an honor to be revealed through you, not because of you. It's in you in spite of you. That exhilarating feeling I was describing earlier doesn't just come from finding something that no one's ever found. That's just a part of it. The other part is knowing it's been hidden so long and you have a general idea how many have tried and failed to find it. Treasures like that are always found in the least likely locations. It defies logic. It defies reason. It employs keys of faith at times. It's understandable why they may feel as though they are conquerors. There's a big feeling attached to that. To do something that's never been done before. You did the unthinkable, the impossible. You found something significant that generous and spent their whole life trying to find and were unable to locate. You did that. I see why your chest might puff out a little bit. I get it. Whether it's the secret treasure in the movies or the one inside of you, the premise is still the same. Some people never locate it. And that's a tragedy. They ride their talents for decades until they're unable to use them or capitalize on them anymore. Then they go into a depression or often die prematurely of a broken heart. Feeling as though they had nothing to offer life or anyone in life. But those talents were never the treasure. The talents, the giftings, and the special abilities came from the treasure. They were not the treasure. We've had things mixed up over decades and centuries. The talents and the giftings and the special abilities come from the treasure. They're not the treasure. The treasure is the knowledge of God's love for humanity and the sacrifices made for all of us through Jesus Christ. It makes the idea that if you know better, you do better a whole lot more impactful, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, I realize every day that I can't handle the treasure. I try, I fail, I adjust every day. Just because I want to be in the best possible position to impact my world for the good and live this precious life with the purpose that was originally intended, not what somebody said I'm supposed to be doing in life, not what somebody said I'm good at, and tried to boost me up to do a professional vocation. Somebody said, oh, you'd be good at that. So I did it. You should go to school for that. So I did it. I mean, the original purpose for what was intended for this life that I have. This life is not like yours, not like his or hers, not like theirs. I say we can't handle the treasure because it's so much bigger than us. It's greater than our finite minds can ever imagine. It's the knowledge of God's love for humanity and the sacrifices he's made for us through Jesus Christ. That's the real treasure. We struggle to understand why we could have such an amazing grace. We don't even understand why a loving God would make such a sacrifice. As humans, we would never do it. Not with our children or any other. We're daily still challenged with understanding why bad things happen to good people. It's much greater than we can comprehend, but every day, we get a glimpse, a taste, or a spoonful of wisdom to help us know him and his ways just a little bit more. We have a great treasure inside of us, but we're simply stewards of it. If you don't grab hold of anything else, please remember this. In every area of your life, no matter how your, your skills are, 
no matter your vocation, your family background, or your shortcomings, you have a great capacity inside of you. And still, with all that skill, all that ability, all that talent, it's still not about you. I know people will boost you up and say your talent puts you on this platform, on this stage, on this level of influence, but at the end of the day, it's still not about you. It's about the gift giver, not the gift. Now, if you're listening to this episode today and you don't know where you would end up in, where you would end up, this is your last day on earth. I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I confess my sins to you and ask you for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as Lord and Savior and help me to walk in your footsteps. You put a great treasure in me that is far more important than me. It's for your kingdom and not to build my own. Show me how to live daily for you with this life you've given to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how you feel about the episode today, but I'm excited for you and for us. We got a treasure inside of us and it's not about us. It's all about the one who's given us the treasure in the first place. You're gifted and talented. You're really special. It's about the gift giver and not the gift itself. Wherever you are today and however you're listening to the People's Podcast, thank you for making They Call Me Mr. You just a small part of your morning, your day, and your week. We are, and God willing, will always be your weekly mirror check before you go change the world. Enjoy the music. Coach out. Thanks again for listening to the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for all of our full-length live episodes. And of course, if you're an audio listener, wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, you can find the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Go change the world. Coach out.